What's up, everybody? Matt Fini Gautano here, the internet's most anxiety-ridden nerd. Uh, no, I'm only joking. It's it's Matt Goward here. Welcome to the, uh, the next episode, the second episode of Your Fourth Wall. Joining me, as always, is a man who once, when he was drunk and peeing, fell over and then continued to pee, spinning, spinning around, shouting, I'm a sprinkler. It's Mr. Isaac Kidd. <laughs> the house party! I think we've got a party central podcast for you today. I'm very excited. Let's go crazy. Let's go crazy. And also with us is a man who once carried a bag of his own shit for a wedding reception. <laughs> <laughs> if you want, I can just bleep oh, that bit out. No, no, no. Do you keep that in. I want people to know what I've done. No. <laughs> I, let's, let's leave it out for the kids. We can get into that story another time. Um, yeah, it's Mr. Ryan Heath. Hello, Ryan. What's up, baby? What's up? Okay, so can I just do a, we've got a sponsor this week. Can I just read out our sponsor? We're please? never gonna get a sponsor ever again, thanks to that intro last week. I wanna every week I wanna do a fake sponsor and I've prepared this one, so can I just oh, read it, Yeah, yeah, please. All right, go on, go on, go <laughs> for it. This week's podcast is uh of the musical inclination. So we are sponsored by the Nottingham Haunted Museum. That's right, the Nottingham Haunted Museum. At the moment, they have recently acquired a, uh, a a guitar called the Devil's Guitar, which has come all the way from Iraq, and um, <laughs> uh, has been used to summon the devil in the past. So they've got some new artifacts in, a lot of them musically related. I think they've actually got a, a possessed possessed flute. I think they've recently acquired too. Um, so that's our sponsor. Have they got the um, Bullet in a Bible from Green Day's eponymous live album, Bullet in a Bible? They certainly have. They certainly have got that. Um, they actually bought that years ago, Matt. So thank you very much for bringing that up. No worries. No worries. Always here for the Green Day references, which we will get. I'm sure we will get a lot of in this episode. So as Ryan said, it's a musical inclination this week. I've picked my favourite album of all time when it's not I Had the Blues But I Shook Them Loose by Bombay Bicycle Club. It's Teens of Denial by Car Seat Headrest. Now... Have either of you listened to this album before? Let's start with you, Isaac. Hello, my name is Car. <laughs> Ryan, can you say your name is uh, Seat, and then Matt, your name is Headrest. My name is uh, my name is Seat. My name is Headrest. And uh, this album that we have for you today is again. I think it's a party album. I love it. I, I've not heard it in fall. Today was the first. Yesterday was the first time I was listening to it whilst pumping iron and it was fab very good very good uh ryan what about you had you heard it before uh no this was the first time i'd ever heard anything at all from from uh from car seat headrest um which has been interesting because this is their which album number is number 10 something like that something so they so uh yeah car seat headrest they are a uh well car seat headrest is will Toledo or Toledo and he was originally just making music by himself under the moniker Car Seat Hebrest and he uploaded all his albums to Bandcamp very um, bedroom rock, garage rock, that DIY do it yourself Um, this was their first one, I believe it's their first one under Matador Records maybe their previous one Teens of Style under Matador Records but I don't think so because 
Teens of Style definitely still sounds like a do-it-yourself album. Uh, I like that album, but the mixing on it is terrible. The vocals are like completely washed out, and it's yeah, it's it's not a great mixed album. It's got some great songs, but this one, the production is fucking banging. Yeah, that that first song. Can I can I just say that that first? It's an indie classic. There's something about the the way that the guitarist his vocal it all just feels very indie back it's like a stroke song yet it's got this kind of lyrical like pulp edge to it i was just like hello this this album is like kicks off with that and i think yeah it's, it's fascinating it does slap it did it did slap me in the face a bit it did slap i have to admit i was uh i wasn't expecting to be slapped and they did and i liked it what's that song called uh it's called fill in the blank uh, so yeah, should we just jump right into it with that uh, that tr- that song, fill in the blank, the opening? So I love how it begins with the little radio intro where it's like, uh, you are now listening to... And then she's like, um, Cassie Headrest. Like, she's not even sure who it is. I think it's safe to say that we are both... We are all big fans of um, Songs for the Deaf and that journey, that radio journey. You can't journey. even hear it. Okay. Songs, songs for the Deaf is that, is that Queens of the Stone Age? That is Queens of the Stone Age. They're on the, the same record label, aren't they? They're on the same. That, they're on Matador, Matador as well. Yeah. Ah, fantastic. That makes sense. And um, EXP by the Jimi Hendrix Experience off Axis Boulders Love. That also starts off as like a radio broadcast. I just love that sort of. Yeah, it's very cool. And this is this car seat headrest. They're a Canadian band. Are they American? What's the situation? They, they are American. I think they're from Seattle, but I don't know if they're, which would make ah. a lot of sense. Yeah, totally. It's, they do have this kind of quirky, you know, indie vibe about them. I just had this feeling. It was like you're from the north of the Americas. Mm. Uh, yeah. So, uh, oh, they formed. They were formed in Virginia. But they're currently based in Seattle. Interesting. Uh, if you look at their influences, and I think you can tell why they're one of my favourite bands, their influences include Radiohead, Pink Floyd, The Beatles, The Beach Boys, Daniel Johnston, Frank Ocean, Modest Mouse, Neutral Milk Hotel, R.E.M., The Who, Nirvana, Neil Diamond, <laughs> The Clash, James Brown, Queen, Rod Stewart and Green Day. Wow, this yeah. is like your ultimate concoction there, Matthew. Well, do you know what surprised yeah. me most? Is that I think the two bands that this album sounds the most like aren't amongst those. And I think the first one is Pixies. What? In terms of the very no. quiet, the dynamics of volume. If you listen to Pixie okay. songs, it's always very, it goes very quiet and then very loud, doesn't Actually, it? Actually, yeah, nice, yeah. Yeah, you're right, it does, it does. Which is like... Um, Nirvana also did a lot, but Kirk Bain said that that was influenced by the Pixies. And my other one is, weirdly, LCD Sound System. In terms of the writing and the approach to like song structure, it's not it's not verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, and it's not, oh, we're all going to sing. It's not everything's going to be the exact same throughout the song. It keeps changing yeah. it up. It keeps doing new cool things. There's spoken mm. word bits like James mm-hmm. Murphy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think this is very, very LCD cool. sound system, this album, just rocky. 
the guy has uh, is it Mr. Toledo Toledo potato potato Toledo. potato yeah I don't actually know how to pronounce it I think it's Toledo Toledo um, well that gentleman he certainly has the same kind of I guess like affected sort of um, I guess slightly maybe borderline self-pitying or maybe quite apathetic um, attitude doesn't he like similar to LCD's um, I guess I guess yeah. vibe yeah, does that make to- sense? Totally. They, yeah, there's a bit, there's a track on this album where he just sort of goes on about, he just it goes full spoken word, and it reminds me of Christ. I've forgotten the name of the LCD song, but it's the one where he's basically talking about uh, James Murphy's talking about his record collection and how he it was cool before it was anyone else found it cool. What the fuck is it called? Quick interjection here from Matthew from the future. That song is called "Losing My Edge." It's off LCD's first album. You should go listen to it. It's bloody. Non, it's like a nonchalant inner world shopping list, you know, it's going through like mm. mental processes, but then kind of, I think it's like a labeling thing, isn't it? It's like, oh, like, was it, did I have this? What is, what was like, it's, it, I have heard it before in other songs, but yeah, this, this guy kind of. Is this number 10, track 10? That is the Ballad uh, of Costa Concordia. It is the Ballad of Costa Concordia. Man, I fucking love that song. That's my favourite one. We'll oh, okay. Yeah, I was going to ask. Was that, so that's your favourite track of the album? Yeah. But yes. What about up. you, Isaac? Uh, I think the first five are fantastic. The first one, yeah, the intro track for me, just like I will listen to that. I think again and again without listening to the full album. But yeah, the the first the first couple of songs actually I think work really nicely together. Mm. There's not a lot of filler in this I album, like it, which is nice. There, there's absolutely no filler whatsoever. <laughs> like the walls are all repaired nicely. There's no filler needed. It's, it's some forty-one baby, all killer, no filler. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, baby. Well, I uh, also number ten is interesting because it's eleven freaking minutes long, um, and it's an absolute banger. It is an absolute banger. Should we just go through them track by track? Yeah, I think- yeah, yeah. We're not going to do this with like films and stuff where we go through the plot, but I think an album, an album warrants it. Uh, so yeah, we've got fill in the blank. As we said, it's got that little radio intro. Uh, and it was as soon as I heard this, this wasn't the first car seat headdress song I heard. The first one I heard was um, Drunk Drivers Killer Whales when I saw them do a performance of it on, I think, Fallon or some late night talk show. And I was like, okay, I need to check this band out. It's really good. I went back and watched that performance. The song is completely different. And it's shit on Fallon. And I'm like, wow, I can't believe that that sold me on this album because I can't listen to it now. It's it's really like, they try and turn it into a normal song, I think, given the restraints of the time. Did you watch that other performance I sent you of Fallon when they're playing Bodies? which is off their next album. Yeah, I did watch that one, yeah. That is my favourite TV performance of all time, just when he's like... Because that song is very meta. It talks about, we're going to go into the chorus now, we're going to go into it. And then for that performance, he changes it. He's like, and this is the part where we go into a breakdown, but because we're on live TV, we've only got 45 seconds, so we're just going to go straight into the final chorus. And then bang. I'm like, fuck, that's amazing. That's recurring though, isn't it? And when I noticed, when I was listening to this album, and the first thing that struck me was obviously the super self-referential and like meta lyricism of um, of the uh, of the songs, and I think it kind of 
I think at the start when I first listened to it, I was kind of like that. That almost turned me off a little bit, actually, because I think I think um, I was maybe a bit skeptical and a bit sort of sick of like sad indie boys for a while in music. I kind of moved away moved away from that sort of genre for a while. But it, but the more you listen to it, actually, it, it's not it's it's not necessarily something that is um, always present. And he does break in and out of that for sure. Um, and it's something that I feel like doesn't. Um, he's very close to being self indulgent, but it doesn't quite pass that. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I it does that. have that LCD. Yeah, it has that LCD contemporary feel. Especially that well, I can't remember what the song is, but it's the. Um, what is it? Friends are better than drugs. Oh my god! Drugs. That what, what song is what, that? What do you call? Uh, it's called Joe get. Oh wait, well, it's called uh, Joe gets kicked out of school for using, which is in brackets, drugs with friends, and then in brackets yep. after that, but says that isn't a problem. Yeah, I mean that, and it's that as a title for a song. Fucking brilliant! <laughs> and somehow it it like it critiques drugs. It critiques critiques kind of that high school party you college know, party up, thing yeah you know you know people using drugs and alcohol and all these things yet the song it feels like a timeless theme and you, you could listen to that song you know when you're 70 years old and you'd be like oh yeah i was 17 once i remember Definitely. the first time i heard that song i couldn't believe like no one had done that refrain before in music you know drugs are better with friends are better with drugs are better with friends what, what do you call it in english is it and ad adenipal oh, i'll have to google it and dip and diplosis that's it sounds like um, a dinosaur it does doesn't it <laughs> uh so so would you say that's your favorite track isaac or is it is it fill in the blank the opener um it's one that surprised me for sure because at, at first i think what ryan was saying it was kind of I was questioning it. I was like, "Are you? Just, why are you saying these things?" But it's it's the music actually. The instrumentation just carries it through, and it, it's more of a like it becomes like a drone, doesn't it? That that phrase, "Friends are better than drugs are better than," and it's not like trying to say, you know, "Friends not, are not better, better than drugs," than. you know, or or any like better with. Oh, and yeah, and it goes on to say with, and you're just like, "Are they what?" But in itself, is it a statement? Is it? Because it continues on in that paradrome or whatever you said there. And and I've already forgotten it. I've closed the tab. <laughs> I think it was platypus. Was the word? Pl- platypus, platypus yeah. yeah, yeah. Perry the platypus. platypus. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. It's all right. Let's go for it. Fill in the blank. Radio intro. We've said it a hundred times now. <laughs> um, yeah. This song just, you're right. It absolutely slaps you in the face with that fucking guitar. Oh, it's oh god it's a great little riff that needs to be on your jingle that does need to be just that that little slot you did there Matt can you do that again is that we've probably lost about five of our six listeners Ryan can you can you pull up the flute let's hear a magical serenade there's some good horns in this okay it hits hits hard i love this song because of how self-loathing it is and antagonistic to the self 
Uh, I sort of mentioned it when I picked it last week. But when I heard this album, I was really struggling with my depression at uni. I was just sort of contemplating whether I should drop out or not. Feeling very lost. Feeling like I couldn't quite talk to anyone about how I felt because I didn't know how I felt. And I was just... 2016? Since 2016? Yeah, 2016. And I was very angry with myself. And like one of the... and. And everything was annoying me. So the opening line of this song is, I'm so sick of filling the blank. Where it's like, yeah, literally anything was pissing me off. Anything was making me angry. And then the next the line later is like, if I was split in two, I would just take my fist so I could beat up the rest of me. Totally. I think Very it's honest, interesting. Yeah. We've all, well, I know, I know I certainly have felt. I guess I sometimes make the, or I guess maybe society assumes that depressed people are going to be um, docile in some way and they're going to be potentially lethargic socially um, but a lot of the time when when you're very depressed actually you are very angry and that's like a symptom mm. of of the depression that's like a, a symptom of it and I think that's not necessarily always uh, those things aren't necessarily always like spoken about uh, as a partnership because they definitely both feed into each other yeah um, Definitely. And I think this really does a nice way of joining those two things and kind of explaining those the relationship between those two emotions really well, or those two feelings really well. Yeah, it, it's it's really good at doing that. And I don't know, it's I'd listen to like, I, I grew up on like Nirvana and the Smiths, so I'd listen to depressing music and music about depression and feelings. But I, I don't know, maybe it was because when I listened to them, I I, I hadn't like been diagnosed with depression yet so if i thought i was if i was depressed i just thought i was just sad um, yeah. mm. and like it, it felt to me like i'd never heard someone sing not just so candidly about it but it i've i've never listened to a song i've never listened to an album where like every song i'm thinking i i can relate to this like i feel like he's i'm like it's that sort of um oh god i'm trying to think there was a song I heard no, it was Taxi Driver, which isn't a song, obviously, film. <laughs> but apparently, someone came up to Martin Scorsese after Taxi Driver and asked him how he knew um, what he lived like, being like, "How did you know that? Like, were you stalking me? Because I am Travis Bickle." <laughs> it's that that sort of what the fuck? I it yeah, yeah. and it was it was perfect. Yeah, and I think a lot of the time with sort of music that is talking about depression and mental illness, quite often verges on the sad, the slower, more somber side. I think this, you know, with very, it's really punchy guitars, not just this song, but most of the album. Punchy guitars, great drums, just great instruments, like makes you really confront it and lifts your spirit at the same time through the music. Yeah. Instead of like Elliot Smith, where whenever I try and listen to Elliot Smith, who I love, but after about six songs, I'm like, Jesus Christ. Um, I've, not I've not listened to Elliot Smith before, but I know the feeling of that. I think often when I've listened to music that has the intention of being wholly cheerful, um, it actually makes me feel the opposite. And that um, by neglecting the like bittersweet nature of, so, nice. so Ryan, you're talking about Katy Perry, yeah? You're talking about <laughs> that. Oh, nah, Kate, nah, mate, Kate, nah, Katy Perry's, uh, she's, um, she knows, she's she knows, what, they, 
She knows what those feelings are. She um she did that okay. really famous song with the the plastic bags selling in the wind. You know? <laughs> yeah. Do you ever feel like a plastic bag filled with shit being carried for a wedding? <laughs> <laughs> and the candy girl. I mean, she's got emotional depth, Katie. I think yeah, she yeah. Does. Oh, I mean, I'm a big fan of can... You know, I know what you mean. I know what you mean, though, man. Pop, yeah. pop music, pop music does tend to tend to be super shallow a lot of the time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think it's quite hard to get your art out there with something that's going to be catchy or anything like that. With this kind of producing like outcome of oh, it also has to sell quite a lot of money so that it's viable. Yeah, yeah. I guess like sometimes the 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 view of the the song and the album as a product can get in the way of the of the expression yeah. of the artist kind of for sure coming back to this album matt yeah where did you first hear them and what how how did it how did you come about hearing car seat headdress for the first time and what got you into their music so um i think i think i heard biz Bizgrove, our friend Bizgrove, who was supposed to be on this week, but he's very tired, so he'll be on a future episode. Uh, he sort of mentioned them. I don't think he told me to listen to them, but I heard him mention them. And then, yeah, I was just scrolling through YouTube, you know, checking out the NPR Tiny Desk concerts, KEXP. That was that was how I was finding new music at uni. Live music, yeah. And um, yeah, like, like live live music, but like in a studio sort of setting. So it's not like it doesn't have any weird sound problems or doesn't lose anything. Um, but yeah, I watched that Fallon performance of Drunk Drivers Killer Whales and I saw this kid. Have you seen a picture of Will Toledo, by the way? Because that might help why that might help you understand why I kind of associate with him because he was a <laughs> really nerdy looking guy with glasses. I saw a, a picture of him, Matt, while I was while I was kind of, I guess, doing a bit of research and listening to the album, and um, yeah, man, I can see it. I can see like yeah. some of, some of the some of the the hair. Definitely, there was a point where you had mm. your hair quite large, um, yeah, and it was kind of almost like a sort of. Uh, I was going for the Beatles mop it's top. In, it's interesting because he, <laughs> although he's, I mean, the album was released in 2016. And I've seen images of him recently. Uh, recent years and he's still echoing a kind of um a, a style i guess that i would associate with like maybe 2009 2010 he doesn't seem to have like tailored tailored himself mm, visually very tumblr yeah he doesn't seem to have tailored himself visually to like the on to the current contemporary look or market maybe which is interesting with their latest album he's done something quite strange where uh like in all the promo for their latest album He's wearing a gas mask. It's like got, I think it's like a altered gas mask that has like some digital oh, sort of effect. Oh yeah, that, um, that was in the video with the yeah there inside that hotel room or whatever. Yeah, is it coronavirus ref like a reference or something? No, no. This album, uh, oh, I can't remember what the album's called. Making a door less open. I think. I think it came out before COVID maybe just or maybe they were like gearing up for it before another interjection from matthew from the future so making a door less open the latest car seat headrest album came out on may 1st of 2020 but the single the very first single can't call me down came out at the end of february so that was about a month before we went into lockdown what can i say time is a flat circle now i have no reference anyway back yeah i i know what you mean and um yeah 
his his style was very it was just sort of like a style where it's that like i don't really care what you think i look like i just want to <laughs> dress how i feel comfortable and how i want to yeah which i very much vibed with yeah um, so yeah fill in the blank <laughs> the first song um I, I, yeah, I, like we can, I said, we I love. Can move on from that one. Well, I, I, I just there's a very important part of that song, which is the um, whole chorus where it's, it's like the verse is him talking and the chorus is someone talking to him, where the person is saying, "You have no right to be depressed. You haven't ha- tried hard enough to like it," mm. which is just the typical thing that you hear if you're suffering from depression, which mm-hmm. you hear yeah. from someone who has never dealt with it before in their life, like. I had my first, well, not my first, but like one of my major breakdowns the year before I listened to this album in my first year of uni. My girlfriend at the time just did not understand. And I I was like, look, I I can't explain how I feel right now, but I just, I I don't know what I'm doing. I need help. And she just didn't come around. Like I didn't leave my room for four days. I just, I had an ensuite. I think I barely ate and... Yeah, it was just this, oh, you know, you need to cheer up. I'm like, mate, if it's that fucking simple, I wouldn't be asking for help. Like, Totally. And then at the end, he has this defeat with the final chorus where he's like, I have a right to be depressed. I've tried hard enough to like it. I've seen too much of this world and it hurts, it hurts, it hurts, it hurts. Oh, it's cutting deep, man. It is. I like the, the use of like, the deep. use of like, yeah, um, rhetoric as a lyrical device is, is something that's quite clever and, and and I've actually I've heard before in some stuff, but um I don't know if I've heard it before. Um no I have. I think I can't think of where I've heard it maybe, but I definitely have heard like uh that used before and it's it's potent man. It's potent. Mm-hmm. Um super potent, like it makes complete sense. I've never suffered from depression long term and like I um uh I gotta guess through through the kind of lyricism and the makings of artists you you get to experience and empathize with those that those that have and that's i think why so much merit should be given to pieces of uh work that that reference that and that talk about that in a really considered way mm, yeah 100 percent. and and talking about it in, in a different way to what i felt i mean i'm sure there probably is songs that do the same and music that did the same before, but none that I'd ever come across. And I, I've ne- I haven't come across any since. I mean, like the big one is obviously like Nirvana. Yeah. I think that might be it. Something like lithium. Yeah. I think that was where, it. you know, what is it? I'm so happy. Cause today I found my friends there in my head. Oh God, that song's a fucking banger. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. It's a bloody banger. It's a fucking banger. You but tell you what that is one of the few songs where i think the live version their album live at reading the live version of lithium is like a thousand times better and it's already a like 11 out of 10 song on the on nevermind the live version is just fucking insane yeah um so yeah from one troubled artist to another the next song titled vincent after the famous dutch painter mr van gogh is that how you supposed to pronounce it? We'll go with that. We'll Nick roll with that. Goch. I think it's go more like a van. <laughs> yeah, it's, it definitely sounds like you've it's, got some, uh, a furball. I think, you know, if you got to know him, that's how he would pronounce it. Um, yeah, I know. Whilst, whilst wearing a mask, of course. You got kicked out of the <laughs> van 
go ex- exhibition, didn't you, Ryan? I did. I went to uh, went to Holland. <laughs> I went to Holland as a seventeen-year-old. There we go. Um, and obviously, took too much of the devil's lettuce. Um, smoked too much of the devil's lettuce when I was a young man, and I freaked out and got kicked out of the museum because I was. Uh, I think I was. I think I tried to touch a painting. And they, I heard um, you were drooling, which is a fair fair thing. I was drooling, yeah. I mean, Van Gogh's paintings in themselves, you don't have to get high to have a spiritual or, I don't know, some kind of otherworldly connection. When you look at a Van Gogh painting, you are just enamoured by that pure love for nature and, and colour, honestly. There, there's it, movement. It was, I, I mean, who wouldn't draw? All of it. So right? I couldn't who imagine your situation. I think I tried to climb into the world of Van Gogh. Now that's, tried... that's understandable. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, they, they, they didn't want me to make the journey, so I, uh, I was immediately removed with very strict efficiency. All right, sorry about the sort of stopping natural flow of conversation there, but I just opened a beer and it went everywhere and sponsored by Buck's Fizz. <laughs> this is laid back pale ale. I tell you what, I was not laid back when it was covering my dick. It's all sticky down there now and not in a good way. Anyway, Ryan's little story about Van Gogh getting kicked out of the Van Gogh exhibition there. Uh, as we were talking about the track two, <laughs> Vincent, which got a fucking killer in guitar intro that just threads throughout that whole song which I think is just two notes where it's oh god I hope people like what, AS, what are the ASMR uh, do, do, how do the lyrics relate to Van Gogh or or to there's there's a bit where he says um, they've got a portrait of Van Gogh on the Wikipedia page for clinical depression and I think yeah, at that time is it have. is it that what's the name of that painting the one where he's got his head in his hands? Yeah, um, that's the name of it. The one where he's got his head in his hands. Yeah, what is the name of it? Something sorrow. Something sorrow. Yeah, yeah it could be. Yeah. yeah, I'm not sure. I should know this. Um, yeah, but I'm not the fucking art student here. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, a sad one. That's what I'd call it. Uh, Matt from the future again, just to let you know, that painting by Van Gogh is called Sorrowing Old Man at Eternity's Gate. And yes, it is still on the Wikipedia page for clinical depression. It's a very good painting. I like this song a lot. Um, I I didn't like it at first. I think this is the one that took me the longest to get into. And I think mainly because of that intro. I found it a bit annoying at first. And then after a while, I was like, oh, I I actually really like this. It's also got the unfortunate placement. Although it's a great song of being wedged between two absolute slappers. Yeah. Between two bangers. Um, (laughs) And it's great. It's great. But it doesn't, it doesn't. It doesn't whack you over the face um, like the mm. other two do in the same way because it's a little bit more subtle. Yeah, and it's got a good sort of build up to it. Yeah, seven minutes forty-five yeah. seconds. This one, um, uh, I did. I mean, I the next one, man, was doing a bit Jeez. of intro. Well, oh yeah. I, so I think the next one is my favourite. But before we move on from Vincent, um, I think rather than us dissect it, I think the best way to say what this song about is by getting this quote from Will Toledo himself. He says this song, it's about fighting to hold one's place in the crowd, to hold one's drink. It's about shouting to be heard, but what's the point? No one's saying anything worth listening to. It's about wanting to leave, but not wanting to go home. I think we've all been there at parties. Oh, God, yeah. So, yeah, I, lo- I love the little back and forth in this song where, it's not, where it really ramps up 
and he's saying I don't have the strength and then the backing vocalist of a guitarist saying I, I don't have the time I poured myself a drink I told myself a lie all, all that stuff I love that bit and there's a bit in the song where he says it must be hard to speak in a foreign language intoxicado 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 now this is in reference to a lawsuit in 1984 in America where a gentleman called Willie Ramirez suffered a brain clot but he was treated for a drug overdose and became quadriplegic as a result because when his family were saying that he was intoxicado they thought he, that it meant that he was intoxicated whereas what it sort of means is poisoned sick it it doesn't it's not a direct translation to intoxicado um so that's a fucking hor- fucking horrible story that Oh, that is some striking trivia. That is some bleak trivia right there. But thank you for telling me. I would that would have gone completely over my head. I am not very good with my nineteen um, eighties uh, <laughs> lawsuits, medical lawsuits. Yeah, and then uh, I need to obviously mention my favourite part of this song, where there's a bit where he just shouts, "They'll send in Matt, Captain Trash." And apparently that's it. So a friend of Toledo's had a dream that he had a song which had this lyric in, talking about one of their friends called Matt. And he was like, oh, I don't have it, but I'll put it in this song. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's Vincent. It's a good one. Nice. Um, it's very creative. Yeah, I love it. And, uh, yeah, I just, uh, anytime I would walk into, I was living with uh, my friend Ethan at the time, and anytime I'd walk in, I'd go, and they've sent him Matt, Captain Trash. <laughs> anyway, track three, my favourite song on the album, I, I believe, uh, Destroyed by Hippie Powers. God damn it, man. This one got me. What a fucking banger. After listening to the album for the first... I did the first run through um, very shortly after our last podcast last week. And this one has been in my head all freaking week, man. This one's hit me. I think the hook's great. Um, I think the lyricism is brilliant. I think I think I particularly understand the way he talks about being at a... I don't know. Yeah, being at a party. Does he reference? Does he reference kind of being? Yeah, with friends, being at a party, being intoxicated. Talks about that... DMT. Yeah. Um, yeah. Joe, Joe Rogan. We'll know yeah. about that. <laughs> yeah, I. Yeah, I think this is one I resonated the most with when uh, I heard it because yeah, I was considering dropping out of uni, and I and part of that reason was that uh, I was having some issues with not my love life as such my last relationship of love, which you could say is a hippie power. And also I was having a lot of issues with drugs and that, and I was just like, yeah, tell my mother I'm coming home. I've been destroyed by hippie powers. It's just, it's fucking, it's fucking brilliant. Hippie powers, man. What kind of hippie powers were plaguing you, Matt? What kind of drugs? Uh, mostly weed. I was, yeah. I was having a, I, I couldn't stop because uh, I'd been diagnosed with depression, but I'd stopped being treated for it for like quite a few years at this point. So I wasn't on any medication. And because it was getting worse, I just really fell down the, the weed rabbit hole of just, well, mm. this is the only sort of numbing me. It numbs me to it. It makes me feel relaxed. It makes me not overthink things. I overthink, when I'm high, I overthink a lot of other things, but they're normally like the plot of Inception, not... <laughs> <laughs> yeah not my life choices yeah. and, and guess, where I i've been the, uh, calling them hippie powers within, within the song leads itself to i guess that kind of drug doesn't it um the sort of yeah the marijuana is the, the the psychedelics of this world right yeah 
rather than the kind of corporate or more sort of um, the uppers, I guess. Yeah, it, it, I just I just love this song so much. I think my favourite line is the bit where he says, um, it, where he goes screaming. He starts screaming, what happened to that chubby little kid who smiled so much and loved the Beach Boys? What happened is I killed that fucker and I took his name and I got new glasses. Damn, son. Yeah, uh, I love the Beach Boys. And I was a chubby little kid, but much younger. I was a chubby baby. <laughs> <laughs> chubby baby. Were you, were, you, uh, were you a chubby toddler? Yeah, I was a chubby baby and toddler. And then, I don't know, I think sort of late primary school, I then just became this lanky bastard. So I stopped associ- stopped associating with the chubbies of the world and started associating with um, Bob Dylan's Ballad of a Thin Man. Is it called Ballad of a Tall Thin Man? <laughs> I don't know. I think that so. sounds like a really bizarre... The Ballad of, the ballad of a Thin Man? I think Is it's the Ballad his... of a Thin Man or a Ballad of a wow. tall, tall Thin Man. Okay, yeah, that might be... I mean, we could all... I guess in some ways we could all uh, relate to that one in this podcast. Um, not everyone in the world. Obviously, there are... Yeah, we were definitely... It was quite strange, like, when I went to uni. Obviously, we all met at college. Well, no, you two met at high school. But I met you two at college. And our friendship group was a lot of very tall people, including the girls in our friendship group. Were very, yeah, like, we were all too. tall. The only one who wasn't was poor little Jake Green. <laughs> I, uh, I think Jake made up for it with his tall tails, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that the thing the thing I like to hear is the per your personal uh take on this Matt. I think your experiences and you almost looked at this album as as a kind of friend helping you through what you thought was going on at that time um at, at uni which in, in itself is quite it's a new experience it's isolating and things. I think I I've had you know, I've had depression in the past. I've had fairly intense emotions because of not knowing how to deal with it, understanding all of it, and and trying all the all the different types of things. I think we've talked about in this podcast. So, yeah, it's quite fascinating to hear how much it's almost. I wouldn't say challenged challenged your perspective but how do you think it do you think it's kind of helped you uh better understand yourself or um or do you think it's hindered yourself at all by kind of limiting you in in certain ways i think if you can if you can over listen to things because or or even you hear things which you don't understand yet, but you're hearing them, and then they di- kind of dictate how you feel. Do you think you had any of that, or am I just kind of putting crap out there? What do you think? No, I think I think that's a very good point. Uh, I think it definitely helped me uh, confront how I was feeling when I when I couldn't put it into words. Someone else had, and it, it's just everything. This whole album, it's like it's. The whole album is like um, written from that sort of what would you call it, stream of consciousness, like train of thought, and it's it's one moment he'll say something, and the next minute he'll contradict it, being like, "What the fuck are you thinking that for?" Like that is essentially what depression is. It's one part of you that's thinking one thing, and then the other part of you that's aware of it, being like, "What the fuck are you thinking that for?" Totally. Like, why is that going to help? But, but you're going to do it anyway, aren't you? Um, 
Yeah, no, I I think in the long run it helped, definitely. Um, I think there have definitely been times where I've sort of wallowed in it. And I think even on this album, he talks about that. Um, we'll t- I can't remember what track it is, but we'll come to it at one point uh, where he talks about like the like the troubled artist sort of mentality. Yeah, and yeah. it's like, is that something that I want to get rid of or lose? Um, but yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's, that's a very a really good question. Conversation, mm. the idea. Yeah, we'll come back to that. The idea of the troubled artist and the the idea that creativity somehow stems from a place of angst, mm. but. Um, yeah, it's, it's not true. Like it, it can't. I don't know if it's true, man. I think it might be bullshit. I think. I think it might be bullshit. I think there's there's pressures that anyone put on themselves, um, and I honestly think that if you're a creative person, you have to have a lot of resilience, and your inner strength has to really come through because honestly, your creativity is very 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 personal it's very uh, close to you know your inner soul and everything like that so if your inner world is unhappy um then obviously you're going to have a a struggle encounter so it is i think it's very a very personal thing yeah i guess i guess i'm speaking from from being an artist and like i guess um being able to make things in various different states, I guess, and not sort of relying on one particular state, whether that's a state of intoxication, a state of emotion, um, to produce something um, that I deem is good or, or to be in the mood to produce something at all. Um, but I, I know that there is definitely a culture or a kind of mythos around the, the yeah, people like, you know, the, the Kurt Cobains of this world, or to use an obvious example, um, yeah, that, and as, even like as, Amy as Winehouse, the, you know, totally, man. Go. And Vince and Vincent, the like culture, we just mentioned, yeah. um, the, the whole, the whole, the whole twenty-seven club, that whole thing, um, and that is something that I think is actually very problematic and super unhealthy um, for people to to cling on to because it's definitely it's it's a, limit, it's a, it limit it's a, yeah. your That's capability, for, especially for creativity. I think if, if you're under impressions of oh, you know these someone said this and therefore it's it's that do you know yeah no, i think that is that is quite a hard thing to take with a pinch of salt and kind of learn for yourself i couldn't agree more yeah um yeah it's it's a tough one because i i do think a lot of creativity and sort of like it does come from like i mean we were just saying earlier about how like we can't really gel with songs that are too happy yeah um because it doesn't feel real so I, I think it is sort of that tough like balancing act of trying to, you know, you can sing songs that are happy, you can sing songs that are just, you know, just dealing with positive emotions, but they're not always as interesting, or no. it's hard, harder to connect to because it it doesn't, it it feels like an act, like not no one is happy all the time. I'm sure yeah. I, even the people who say they are, they're fucking lying to themselves. <laughs> like, hundred <laughs> yeah, percent, yeah. Um, but no, no one is depressed all the time. Like, you know, I've like my depression has been really bad the last couple of years, but it's not that I don't have moments of happiness like this. Like with this, I'm laughing and chatting with my mates, but it doesn't mean that after I finish, I feel a bit at a loss and empty again. But then, you know, we'll come back and do it again yeah, next yeah. time, or I'll 
go and play a war zone with the mates or I'll listen to another album and think, oh, fucking hell, music is good. And it, yeah, yeah it, there is, the world isn't black and white at the end of the day. Definitely not. Definitely not. Mm-hmm. That's a very good way to sum up that segment there for sure. Oh, yeah. There are, there are at least four wars to every coin. To uh, <laughs> car seat headrest, a phrase. To every car. There's four, yeah, there's four doors to every car, unless you've got a hatchback. Right, <laughs> uh, so, well, the next one. We talked track, a bit about we, this yeah, one, haven't we? Yeah, we don't have to go too much into Joe gets kicked out of school for using drugs with friends, but says this isn't a problem. Um, but yeah, I think this is the first one that has the bit of uh, LCD sort of spoken word bits. Yeah, man, it. into that, into that. It's got it's got some great lyrics, some great just shitting on yourself. Um, well, one, one of my favourite lines is right at the beginning where he says, hangovers feel good when I know it's the last one. Then I feel so good that I have another one. Now, we've all been there where we're like, I, I'm not going to quit. This is my last time drinking. I'm going to quit drinking. I'm not going to drink for another few months. And then you wake up the next morning, you don't have a hangover. And you're like, oh, but that was part of the reason why I quit drinking. So maybe I can keep drinking. And then you drink again. And then the next day, the next night, you have a fucking terrible hangover. And it, and it's, and you're like, uh, oh, God, not oh, again. Got a splitter yeah. of a headache. Yeah, it's like something in your brain when you think it's the last one. It's like, we're not going to give you a hangover this time. We're going to make it sweet. We're not, yeah. I, I think it's interesting <laughs> as well. Like, I know. I um, love that character. Can you do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This concoction this, will make the... you happy. <laughs> <laughs> talking, that's like my inner, my inner, like devil. Um, <laughs> talking of talking of spoken word, and this track being the kind of, I guess, the first, the first uh, time maybe he does it in, in any real sense in this album. Interestingly enough, the the name Carsey Headrest comes from the fact that he would record a lot of the vocals in. Um, in a car, I think, yeah. uh, at the start of the project. And interestingly enough, um, another kind of fantastic spoken word project um, by the streets, well, the whole the whole project, the streets, um, they used to record, or Mike Skinner rather, used to record his vocals in a cupboard um, because oh, he right. didn't have a studio. So he used to record all the vocals for original pirate material, which is one of my favourite albums. Album. Time. What an album. Such a good album. Um, that that was recorded the vocal part was recorded in a i think it was a wardrobe i think he stepped to wardrobe and set up a mic in there wow amazing Uh, it's quite amazing um literally bedroom diy Uh, i love it i love it it's why like um jamie t panic prevention is one of my favorite albums of all time because that is entirely made in his bedroom Wow. and then including like well yeah and even like the album cover is him sort of lying in a bedroom surrounded by like records and all this shit yeah, yeah. Well, there's a tritus of yeah. someone's bedroom. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think there's something. Yeah, yeah and, you know, bedrooms are weird. He even talks about it in, a, in another song, which we'll get to, but like a lot of creativity can come in a bedroom, not just the. the uh, not just, sexy not just the. Am I right? I couldn't tell you well. if you were going um, Sean Connery there. <laughs> I was like, is that is that the first name that came into your head when you thought sex with Sean Connery? <laughs> oh, maybe he's just died, Matt. How dare you? How dare you? R.I.P. in peace to the the greatest uh, Indiana Jones, Cut Indiana it. Jones Senior. 
Ouch! Um, nah. He's <laughs> no. Oh. Last Crusade space. Why, why, Ryan? Why, why do you think he recorded it in a car? Was that purely due to kind of that's where he was living was probably, as well? Or? I'm imagining he was quite young and that maybe he was quite embarrassed and didn't have the facilities to record them. Well, you know, if, somewhere else. If you think about how it works in America with dorm rooms. You you don't have a. It's not like us in halls where we have our own bedroom. You share a fucking room. That's fucking weird, man. Oh, I've always yeah. thought that was really weird about American. It's so fucking bizarre. Yeah, really bizarre. Like I, actually, this will tie nicely into this album. I listened to this album so much. This and uh, Run the Jewels Free by Run the Jewels. They came out around the same time, both yeah. in 2016. I listened to the, both of those albums so much. Go from 2016 into 2017 headphones in all the time when I was in my flat because my flatmate was just having the loudest fucking sex ever and we weren't in the same room we were we were split by a fucking like hallway and a bathroom but our walls were paper thin so I spent the entire year in that flat with headphones on just listening to that just listening to music just listening to this and RTJ3 on repeat so imagine being sharing a room Jesus Christ! I don't know how they do it. I think I'd. I think I would. Um, I think I would lose it. I think I would really lose it. I think the, the room at the moment, like especially at the moment, like our rooms are like really, unless you own own your place, which I don't know if any of us are lucky enough to to, to own anywhere. But um, it's my sanctuary, you know. It's the only place I have at the moment which is mine, um, really, and. I couldn't imagine sacrificing that for 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 uh, someone else to be shagging. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's Joe gets kicked out of school for using drugs with friends, but says this isn't a problem. Blah 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 blah. Uh, next track, number five, not what I needed, which was initially titled "Just What I Needed" slash "Not Just What I Needed" because <laughs> it was fi- it featured um, elements from "Just What I Needed" by the Cars. Don't mm. know if you've heard that song. There's an absolute oh, fucking um, right. Don't listen to that version. Go on YouTube. I think it's read in 2011 when Pulp and The Strokes were the the two headliners. What a powerhouse, man! What a powerhouse! What amazing! Oh Jesus Christ! I wish I was at that reading. But when The Strokes were playing, they covered uh, not uh, just what I needed with Jarvis Cocker. It's amazing. Does it slap? Oh, it slaps. Julian Casablancas and Jarvis Cocker together. Fucking hell. What more could you want? <laughs> uh, God, but this song had to change its name. And the whole song had to be reworked a week before release when the sample license was revoked. Oof, and all the physical editions had already been sent out to distributors and record shops. And they no. were all they all had to be burnt. Yeah. And, and they all had but, to be burnt. Yeah, or melted i don't know what they do with press <laughs> pulp there must be some kind of like blacksmith that smelts all the vinyl and creates, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> creates instruments <laughs> we are sony music <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah so he had to completely rework it get rid of the sample and then at the end, he's like, you know what? It's much better this version. Nice. Isn't that funny when you when you feel like you feel like you've you, you worked so precious on a project? I've definitely done that with things where, cool. um, yeah, yeah. I mean, when you kind of 
it fucks up at some point. You feel like it's irreversible and you go back after a good night's sleep and a cup of tea and maybe rework at it for a little while and it actually w- works out better. And I think a lot of people have had that. I know you, yeah. Isaac, you do a lot of, you do a lot of um, physical making, don't you? Do you ever experience that in yeah. your studio? I think what you hit the nail on the head is it's about not being too precious, isn't it, at the end of the day about art in itself you know fantastic you know if you spent if you love what you do then recreating it only is gonna eventually make it better I mean you may have committed you know a fantastic piece of artwork the first time and then if something horrible happens to it or whatever um it's up to you is it you can decide okay I'll I'll use that and maybe it'll inspire another thing or I'll I'll happily you know, have have this focus to just pump it out again. And this time I'll love it even just doing it. And yeah, it is. Initially, though, you're just like, oh, wow. Uh, all that time yeah. I've lost. I've, you just feel like so you've lost. Stressed. Yeah. And it's and very it's, easy to give up on a project, isn't it, when it's at that stage? You're kind of like, nah, fuck it, yeah. man. This creativity thing, like I need to pay my rent. Why am I spending <sighs> my time doing this particular making when Although, I should be? Yeah, if you've done it once, uh, you can do it again, and and especially the first time you do it, you've almost you're learning how to do it for the first time. So the second time, it's piss easy usually. Uh, The initial hardest part is always you know trying to do it again, actually accepting. (laughs) Well, yeah, whenever that's happened to me, I've always found that the like when I've lost like piece of editing work or a piece of writing work apart from like maybe odd little tidbits that I I can't quite remember how I got there, like those sort of spur of the moment type scenarios. I always find that it's the second time I do it, the redo is better. It's better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it, makes yeah. Me think, it makes me think that like, sometimes I should intentionally destroy my creation yeah. more often. <laughs> do you know what I mean? That like, is, that is lit- like that. Kill your darlings. I've never oh, do that. Yeah. I've got, I know yeah. this, this artist did a lecture when I was in art school and she, um, doesn't keep her work she destroys it or gives it away um wow. uh, whether she whether she sells it or just gives it as a gift but um yeah so she never never keeps anything in a studio for extended periods of time if someone wants it wow. like within within like the first few weeks of it being made great but if they don't then um it just gets reused into another piece so it's kind of recycled yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. which is quite interesting i like that idea of things being kind of almost treated like a like ecology and kind of being reused and repurposed and things for sure yeah cool yeah, definitely um so yeah uh this is the song that uh, talks about the troubled artist um near the end he says um let go of the pain let go of the fear but if i let go of that what will still be here will i found will i find out that i'm just people too it's this idea that like your depression makes you special wow yeah which i've I definitely struggled with maybe bef- probably a little bit at uni as well. But again, it was that like, I I didn't know anyone else who was. It wasn't until um, I spoke to my uh, flatmate who I lived with in second year, who was also about to um, drop out of his like final year and redo it the next year where I was just like, and he said, you don't understand the amount of uh, people who drop out of third year in, at uni it is huge i met like um when i came back home i met like two or three girls off tinder 
who had all dropped out of uni in their final year. Yeah, loads, man. Loads. It's super, super common. It, yeah, it's mad. And like, that's a seriously deep-rooted problem that needs to be sort of like examined of why that happens. And So many people, they go away to study and they... You, you have all these illusions of grandeur when it comes to your university experience. And I definitely had that. And it took me, I think it took me a long time to accept that, I, that these that this vision of what university was, um, was completely fictional in my head. Um, and it was kind of supplemented by things I'd listened to, things I'd seen, other stories that I didn't experience that were told to me secondhand that I kind of pieced together and created this fictionalised university experience that is just absolute bollocks um and that once you let go of that you can start to actually appreciate the weird group of friends that you might find yourself with or the kind of terrible nightlife that you find yourself being involved involved in it's kind of the first and last time in your life that you are you're free and you're aware of it like you've got freedom when you're a child restricted by what your parent allows but but you're not aware of that freedom you feel like you're constantly being told what to do by authority figures adults teachers parents whatnot so uni is like your last hurrah before you enter the fucking atrocity that is (laughs) adulthood and the rest of your life in comparison work isn't it yeah it's it's work Uh, the idea that we have to leave home and travel to a completely new place to then join you know a working industry it's just it's i think it's quite a victorian ideal and i think what what we've talked about here is those fantasies that we've kind of it's not not our fault either you know we've ha- we've learned this we picked it up we've we're trying to imitate other people our, our families and things and and that could be an underlying a theme of why people people leave uni but yeah it is it is very much um it's an internal it's an isolating feeling and and the stresses and and the unknowns as well i think of you know what happens after this what you know, yeah years. this album totally i agree with that and this album like references that feeling tenfold doesn't it i think that's like a when i was listening to it i remember well, when I was to it, rather, I, I remembered various times in my life when I felt, you know, the feelings that, that um, Mr. Carseat was referencing, in particular, in particular... Mr. Headrest, first name, Carseat. Mr. Headrest. <laughs> sorry, Mr. Headrest, of course. Sorry, sorry, Carseat, Mr. Headrest. Um, yeah, huge themes, huge themes. Uh, Matt, can I ask... Can I ask um, because I don't personally know this, who, um, so is it the, the front man kind of writes the songs? What's the instrumentation like and how how is it put together? I don't know what it's like too much on their um, most recent album. Yeah. Um, because weirdly, the album they did after this, Twin Fantasy, is actually just a re-recording of like their most popular album that they released on Bandcamp. They're both on Spotify, um, if you listen to it, like the original version, which is called Twin Fantasy Mirror to Mirror, very lo-fi, yeah. you know, there's definitely, you can tell that there's some really good songs hidden in there, but the production isn't great. Um, and it's a bit more messy than this one. 
So yeah, yeah. He en- they ended up re-recording it. So that was just solely him. I'm not entirely sure about their um, their next album, um, Making It All Less Open. Although I'm not a massive fan of that album. And it could be. Uh, it's got there's a couple of songs in it. Can't Call Me Down, I Love, and um, Deadlines Hostile, which is one of my favourite songs by them. But the rest of it is just a bit... Okay, that's that's it doesn't quite it's not that I don't connect with it um as much. Like I, I understand that I have a very special relationship with Teams of Denial in particular, but I've, yeah. I lo- I love their their style of music anyway and what they did. So Yeah. It could it might be that they're a bit more of a band I know they are a band now, they they have the same lineup. But I don't know if it is still a James Murphy thing where, you know, he does write all of it and then just gets a band to play it future matt again with another fact check the album making a door less open is written solely by will toledo apart from the track hollywood which is written with the drummer andrew katz and it's my least favorite song the album okay back to the past yeah well it's it's music isn't it i think music's so collaborative and cooperative yeah you know that it almost you need that one person to be like okay well this is the lyric and this is the idea and then it all kind of comes through that. So yeah, it could I mean there are loads of there are loads of bands who have, you know, two front men or two leaders or maybe even all four of them, you know, leading. I think like Steely Dan is is one who kind of I think they do that, but that's that's more of a jazz attitude towards music. Well yeah, you've obviously got Lennon and McCartney. But then McCartney wrote yesterday himself, purely by himself, after having a dream about it. Where he like Jesus Christ! Imagine having a dream about yesterday. Song didn't exist before. You're like, oh fucking hell! I'm going to write this down. <laughs> yeah. I, my problem with yesterday is that it's so overplayed now that I kind of forget how great it is. But it's fucking brilliant. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, track six is "Drunk Drivers Killer Whales," which is the first, like I said, the first song I heard by them. Is this one a single? I believe so. Yeah, you can tell. Yeah. I think it's their most accessible song probably on this album even though it's very strange for sure i love the opens where he's saying like in the backseat of my heart my love tells me i'm a mess so he's like likening his heart to you know your the backseat of your car where i mean i don't drive as we established last episode but <laughs> i've been in people's cars and their back seats are fucking atrocious you've hoovered the back seat once in a while yes <laughs> oh we've all hoovered the back seat once in a while okay <laughs> And it's usually something like whenever I've got in people's cars, the fir- the amount of times where you're about to get in their car and they like lean over and just like sweep away their back seat, this embarrassment they have for all the shit that's back there. I just think that's oh, a brilliant, brilliant like yeah. um, analogy of having like his emotional baggage in his heart of like a past relationship. You assume wow. like I'm embarrassed by it, but I need to confront it. That is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just love how this song, Drunk Drivers Killer Whales, like the drunk driving aspect, it's like he's likening, you know, this idea of like, I just want, uh, he's like, I'm only trying to get home. It's this idea of like, I'm getting, I'm drunk and I know I shouldn't be doing this, but I just want to get to my place of peace. I just want to be happy. I just want to find something. There's a great line where it's like, we are not a proud race. It's not a race at all. I love that, and that and that leads wow. into the the absolute stonker 
of a of a chorus, I think, doesn't it? It does. Well, yeah. Yeah, so it's we are not a proud race, not a race at all, drunk drivers, drunk drivers. But that that just that line, the we're not a proud race, not a race at all, I fucking love because lives aren't meant to have a fucking end point. And so many people live their life with just making goal after goal after goal in order to like find happiness. And I made sure I ditched that attitude a long time ago because if you look at it like that, you're never going to be happy because I get like having yeah. goals for yourself, but... It's kind of like writing a, a film or a, a writing a, a play with goals, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's like we, we don't live in film structure. We don't live in a life that has a free act structure with a, you know, a set up, a... Um, What's the second act? The the fucking hell, fucking hell! I studied this. I can't remember what it's called. But like the the <laughs> conflict, conflict. That's it. And then resolution. Like we don't have that. Um. And yeah, he's just saying, you know, it's not a race at all. We're not. Stop trying to get to the end point. It just fucking enjoy it whilst whilst you're doing it. Life life happened to you whilst you were busy making other plans. Oh. Good old oh, man. that sounds that's, like a fucking. That's a John that, Lennon. Yeah, that's that's John, John Lennon. John, John Lennon. Lennon. Yeah, oh, yeah. Man. Watching the wheels go round. Future Matt again, just quickly. It's not watching the wheels go round. It's not a fucking nursery rhyme, Isaac. It's watching the wheels go by. Anyway, back to the past. God damn! What a lyric. I love that. That kind of lyric reminds me of some of the more somber Alex Turner, Arctic Monkeys stuff. Like the yeah. way, the way that kind of I love the way that people. Um, yeah, use analogies. I guess in particular, like I love, I love it when people use like colloquial analogies in their music. Um, and I know that obviously Alex Turner does that a lot. Um, and I don't know because I haven't listened to this album enough to have picked up really if if Mister Headrest that is um, does this. Um, but I love that. I love that kind of um, yeah, that lyrical lyrical trope. Mister Headrest, though. I mean. Uh... Uh, can we? Can, what is his actual name? Can we just Will Toledo? <laughs> I keep saying it. I don't want to. I, don't, I want to call him Mister Headrest. I'm sorry. Headrest himself. Uh, he has some um, the, the, the whole want, the lyrics. Headrest himself. <laughs> <laughs> the lyrics on this album, they are. You could pull. You could pull. You know, lyrics left, right, and center from various songs and slap them on a poster. You know, they are honestly. I think they are timeless. This. Thank you so much for uh, highlighting this album to me because I probably would have overlooked it. I won't. I won't lie to you. Not not necessarily the band. I think more the 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 album itself and the you know it came out in 2016. I was listening to a lot of very different music at that uh, in 2016. So yeah, thank you a lot, Matt Goward. No problem. And and if you're thanking me for that, I would like to thank you for another album that I listened to a lot in 2016 that I forgot to mention amongst my RTJ3 uh, plug, is Cardinal by Pinegrove. You introduced oh, me to that, yes. Isaac. Fucking I'm happy, no, no, I'm fucking happy you mentioned that because I saw Pinegrove and uh, the the tone really reminds me of car seat headrest. Mm. They have this very nonchalant and lo-fi uh, sensibility and, and yeah, it is, it's, it's very poetic. Talking of like lo-fi, lo-fi sounds, this album, I haven't listened to any any uh any previous projects any previous lps from 
Mr. Headrest. Um, <laughs> but I'm getting a sense. I'm getting a sense that it, this one's grander in some way, and maybe the strong, 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 strong structure. That's a tongue twister. The strong, the someone strong structure. That's it. Sentence. Is, All right, Mr. Connery's back. Someone, we've got to hunt for Red October. <laughs> <laughs> um, is 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 bold, and it's. I feel like it's quite. Quite, it's got some, it's got some, uh, it's got some balls in this one. Yeah, it definitely has. I, I like what you say about, um, you know, you could take any lyric from this and put it on a poster or whatever. I, I think a lot of songs where you look at the lyrics disassociated with from the music, you're like, what the fuck is this? Totally. And the best, best example I've heard of someone talk about that is when I listen to Mr. Alex Turner again, when he's, uh, I think it was like a Radio Four interview where he was talking about his lyricism. Because it's very kitchen sink, Alex Turner's, especially his totally. earlier stuff. Very, very um, kitchen sink. What like. is kitchen sink? I've heard that phrase. Kitchen sink realism. So it's just, you know, like everything but the kitchen class, sink. Yeah. It's, social social realist filmmaking. Um, yeah, like Ken Loach, Mike Lee, Shane that Meadows. sort of. Shane Meadows, yeah. Oh, okay, okay, okay. That very, like, I'm not going to mince my words. I'm not going to. Oh, it's that Mardi Bum. It's that. Yeah, it's yeah, that. Man, totally. Uh... Oh, I'll tell you what. The first time I was in Sheffield and someone told me I look reek Mardi. Fucking hell. Whoa. Oh, my mate, my mate was like, you're right, Matt. You're right, Matt. You look reek Mardi. I was like, I, was like, I, don't, I don't feel Mardi now you said that to me. Thank you. <laughs> I'll take you down to the submarine. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God, Mr. Connery, it's such a pleasure to have you here. <laughs> Somehow I've gone Glaswegian. Anyway, this interview with Alex Turner, he's talking about, uh, he's talking about Moon Age Daydream by Bowie, which my, I think is my favourite Bowie song. And he says, like, the opening of Moon Age Day- Daydream is Bowie shouting, I'm an alligator. And, he, and Alex Turner's like, you know, if you read that on a page, I'm an alligator. All right, David, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, that makes no sense. But it's the way he just opens it. I'm an alligator. You know, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. it's fucking brilliant. But yeah, this album, I think the lyrics just stand alone. They do totally. It could be, it could be spoken word, like we said. It could be, yeah, slam poetry, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> slam poetry. The reason it could be some kind of rap battle. Uh, <laughs> I think we're gonna have one today. Sean Connery yeah. versus Sean, Sean, Sean Connery <laughs> versus Alex Turner. <laughs> <laughs> Sean Connery just wailing at the kitchen sink. <laughs> I've unblocked you 50 times this week. <laughs> it's cold and oh, I've grown a few grey hairs on my tongue. Oh, God. Oh, God. I'm not, I refuse to even attempt a Scottish accent. Anyway, let's finish up with Killer, Drunk Drivers Killer Whales. Um, so, yeah, you you said it when it leads into the great chorus of it doesn't have to be like this. It doesn't have to be like Man. this. Killer Whales, Killer and Whales. Kind of the first time, I guess, this any part of this album felt like uh anthem worthy or maybe even like that 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 tune was an anthem i feel like it was yeah almost like i don't know i don't want to say stadium worthy because that sounds a little bit cheesy or something but i know um, i i have seen car seat live you have yeah okay fucking amazing and this song in particular in fact um it's actually christ what song is it it's your favorite song ryan um which we will obviously get to when we get to it uh, Costa, no, wait, no, it's not. It's the one before it is Cosmic Hero. Oh, it, yeah. it opens with um, you can commit yourself completely. And then they then released a live album, which wasn't like 
one set it was recordings of loads of different gigs called commit yourself completely and they've got two songs from that they recorded at uh 2 forum kentish town i think is where i saw them yeah kentish town oh. two songs of that are on that album so it's the first time that you can ever hear me screaming on an album until <laughs> until the release of I Had the Blues But I Shook Them Loose Lies at Brixton where you can hear me and Isaac screaming <laughs> on an album. Really? Yeah. I'm now I've wow. now had seen two live gigs that have gone um, into albums. But yeah, so one of the ones that is on Commit Yourself Completely is Drunk Drivers Killer Wales. And if you listen to it, it's fucking phenomenal. It's like whew. But yeah, it's a great, great fucking chorus referencing the great documentary Blackfish saying that, you know, like you know, was it Tillicum, his name? The uh-huh. Tilikin, yeah. Where it's like, look, it didn't have to be like this, but you kept him caged up. You didn't give him the right love, the nutrition, the care. He's, he's likening himself to uh, to a killer whale, being like, it doesn't have to be like this if you just took care of yourself, uh, if you just took the right precaution, if you just... I didn't get that reference, so thank you for introducing that to me. Yeah. It's, uh, it's just, and it's amazing that he just changes that the chorus from drunk drivers to killer whales and it it fits so fucking well seamless because it does seem a bit uh, not absurd but um abstract at first oh yeah definitely definitely is a super abstract it's definitely in the i'm an alligator category for sure it definitely is so yeah track seven 1937 state park uh i might be my least favorite i think it's not memorable for me Oh, actually, you know what I do like about the song is it talks about um, him wanting to commit a crime because he feels like, as an artist, he says, um, like, I need to get one done for the biography. Oh. Even though he does And he what? talks about how he doesn't actually want to do it. But he's just like, well, you know, all these great musicians, when you read their biographies and whatnot, they've always had a criminal little past or some like. Oh, the Frank flip. Sinatra mugshot. Oh, uh, yeah, they've got. Yep. Yeah, Stephen Fry being arrested for credit card fraud. We always forget wow. that. Wait, yeah, what? Stephen Fry was in prison what? for credit card fraud. <laughs> no way. When? Oh, ages ago. I think like maybe when he was at uni, or not long after wow, he left yeah, the uni, yeah, yeah. Um, before cool. he was famous. Does it does have this little credibility though, doesn't it? Because you're kind of like, if you've gone to prison, you've truly fucked up in the eyes of society and things. Mm. So I understand where. Uh, Mr. Car Seat Headrest is coming from because it's it's it is <laughs> Mr. It's, headrest to you. I it's, <laughs> it's a fantasy, I think, as well that it's almost painted in a a positive way that oh, you know, going to prison, crime itself is good, you know. Yeah, living vicariously. Have either of you had any run-ins with the law? I have. How do I run with the law, actually, Matthew? Um, yeah. When I talk was, about it? <laughs> yeah, I don't mind talking about it. When I was maybe, maybe I was maybe ten years old. I was walking down the street, and I was with a very naughty young man called. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I need to name was... names. <laughs> I'll bleep it. Thank you. <laughs> was... I'll start that again. So. So I was age nine and I was walking down the street and I was uh, with a very naughty young man who was uh, an influence um, of mine. Yeah. Um, and we, we sort of, we sort of started weeing in the middle of the street. Um, <laughs> sort of. Wait, um, how old were you again? <laughs> maybe 10, nine, 10. Toilet uh, um, trained. 
<laughs> and obviously that's you know that's frowned upon um you that's don't do culture that. yeah the culture um, tries to train us like to at least the toilet, yeah. at least like at least like find a wall or a corner you know um wait so what you were just in the middle of the street you weren't yeah, you weren't doing just, it against the wall just it was for the biography <laughs> it was for, it was for the memoir it was for the biography i was in my mind i was thinking yeah, the teens are going to think I'm cool. This, my demographic's going <laughs> to reduce by ten years, um, and and it was and it was obviously questioned by uh, uh, someone walking their child home from school, and they sort of said, you know, why are you doing that? Put it away. And I said, okay, I'll do that. I, I, I immediately thought, <laughs> all okay, right, this love, is love. Wrong. this is wrong. But <laughs> didn't he? In fact, Ooh, he shit. pulled his trousers down even further, then proceeded to turn around and mooned her. Um, and and she called the police and the police came to my school the next day and they gave me and Brandon a very serious talk on uh, public indecency and flashing um, that was to influence my behaviour for years to come. <laughs> did, um, did you ever flash again? I didn't flash again. I got. I think I got all you the know, flashing out. You know your uh, lesson. <laughs> before I was legally um, allowed to be sent to jail, thank God. Another quick interjection from Future Matt. This is where I proceeded to tell a story about my running with the law, but it took 20 minutes, and I'm trying to make this podcast less than two hours long at least. So I'll just give you the long and short of it. I got arrested for drunk disorderly when I was 17. It's fine now. I'm all good. Don't worry about it. Anyway, back to the past. Oh, but my favourite part of this song is a bit where he goes, Def is playing his xylophone ribs for me. And then it goes into this fucking killer organ solo. Yeah, there's there's some interesting instrumentation on this album. Um, you mentioned at the start that there is an influence. Uh, well, an influence has been noted. Um, Neutral Milk Hotel. Have you listened to uh, their magnum opus? Which is their magnum opus? In the Aeroplane Over the Sea, uh, which is 1998. And they are, I guess they use a lot of like horns and kind of more folk instruments, I guess, um, okay. in their music, which is which is what I see in this album. There's like some moments where that creeps in. I can see that this this guy's been listening, Mr. Mr. Headrest has been listening to Neutramoke Hotel, I think, because it's just so, it's an obvious reference for me. I'm a big fan of that album, so I'll have to give that a listen. Do it, man. It's good. Um, so it's classic. So yeah, that, I love that organ solo, and yeah, just the whole Death is playing his xylophone ribs for me. What a great like. Oh man, such a it's such a it just conjures up imagery in 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 a really satisfying way. Yeah, it's it's superb. So I said the last one is probably my least favorite song. I think the next one is my actually my least favorite song. Unforgiving girl, she's not Anne. Clever. It's good. It is good. I like that it builds up the intro. It's very much like the Get Back by the Beatles. You know that boom, 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 getting faster and faster and louder and louder and louder. That's great. Um, there's some, again, absolutely brilliant lyrics where he's talking about uh, this isn't sex. I don't think it's just extreme empathy. Will Toledo writes a lot about his sexuality uh, in his music. And he's never, I don't think he's ever come out and fully said, you know, his orientation or or whatnot, um, 
but he's got one song on Twin Fantasy called Beach Life in Death where he says, I pretended I was drunk when I came out to my friends. I never came out to my friends. And then he's got another song called It's Only Sex, which is just him talking about like, um, you know, I don't care about your sex problems. What about my sex problems? And what I get from all of his songs, I think he's asexual. I think he talks a lot about like his sort of strange relationship with, with sex and like enjoying it at times and not enjoying it and wanting to do it, but not enjoying it or not feeling like it's part of the moment. There's a great line where he says, give me a sign that I'm not making love to myself in that song. Uh, yeah, very, very good. Uh, I think change my mind. It's not my, I have no least favorite song on this album. They're all fucking brilliant. <laughs> Five stars. Track nine, Cosmic Hero, which is quite a long one, if I believe, if I am right in thinking. It's not it's not the main long one of the album. Let's have a look. It's all it's eight thirty two, so Yeah, it's a big boy. It's the longest since Vincent. Um Yeah, I, I really like this song. It's got a really good, beautiful horn intro, like you're saying. Was into that horn, quite man. neutral milk hotel reference. It's where we get the commit yourself completely line, which is used on the live album. It's a bit where he says you could lie down in the river at last and let the dread complete you. I took sort of two meanings of that. You've got like the river sticks, obviously. Sort of this song sort of sounds like he's contemplating possible suicide or just exiting life. But uh, I don't know if you've ever had therapy, but what they normally do is they tell you to picture your thoughts as a river. I've heard this analogy yeah, yeah. before. It's yeah. like CBT, yeah, yeah. You, yeah, you need to like disassociate yourself from your thoughts and look at them as a pass, passing current. I use the bus. And watch them flow by. Imagery, yeah, but totally get that. It's any, anything that, yeah, yeah, carry on, carry on. Well, I was just going to say therapy never worked for me, so that's why I started a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it works. It Honestly, I think it, it's a very Western thing to go and sit and talk about things through because you're thinking them through one level of your consciousness. You know, yeah, yeah. Or one and level of your out, being. Yeah. yeah, and once that's out, only then can you really be like, oh, okay, now I'm going to... So I think there are other ways that... Uh, you can, you know, have that stream, as you said, and and have that flow. And, yeah, I think that's probably why um, it has, what, 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 has, has, in this album, does he talk about therapy or is there anything? Um... He talks more about people who have no experience trying to give him advice. It's like one song where he says free people give free advice. Ah, yeah. You know, it's meaningless in the end. Ah, this this album is such a vibe. It's a vibe on feeling crap, and I mean, it does it in such a way that is so honest. And it's like if you feel helpless, like who can hear you? And I think the best thing you can do really is to talk about it because that's the only way that people will or the universe will show up and be like, oh, hey, like I heard you were feeling crap. Uh, here's this thing and, and enables you to try this thing. So I fucking love this vibe. <laughs> I know. It's totally it's totally an ode to feeling like shit. And I think that it must be incredibly hard to perform again and again. Songs from this album, songs from yeah. a back catalogue yeah. that is riddled not riddled, maybe that's the wrong word, that insert, that has negative connotations, but is, is loaded with such uh, personal 
um, and uh, sorrowful and uh, negative emotion um, must be very difficult to to tour and to play live to masses of people again and again without inviting that back into your life. I often wonder that about I I think that about um, Nick Cave, the album that he made after his son died. Totally, man. Skeleton Key, is it called? Skeleton? Skeleton Tree. Skeleton Tree. Skeleton Tree. tree. Yeah, I think it's Skeleton Tree. Um, What a great album that is. Um, Yeah, I remember reading an interview with Nick Cave where he talked about uh, the whole like Morrissey ordeal where it turns out that Morrissey is basically a big old racist, which upset a lot of people. <laughs> really upset me. I, fuck me, I love, I love the Smiths. I absolutely love them. Cool songs, yeah. Fucking amazing, yeah. And he says that, like, you know, when Nick Cave said that when he writes songs, once he puts them out there, they're no longer his. They're his audiences, and yeah, they take their meaning from it. You totally yeah, hear yeah. that from a lot of novelists. Yeah. That, um, Death of the yeah, author, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, totally. Margaret Atwood um, says that a lot about her books. She has that opinion, and I think I think I certainly have that opinion when I produce something. Um, mm. I can't control. There are things I hate that I've I've let into the world that other people really respond positively to, and I have to live with the fact that you know I don't like that thing. So yeah, speaking of the Smiths. There's a great line in Cosmic Hero where he says, if you really want to know how kind you are, just ask yourself why you're lying in bed alone. Which reminds me of, you know, uh, I Know It's Over by The Smiths. Mm-hmm. Where he's like, if you're so funny, then why are you on your own tonight? If you're so very clever, then why are you on your own tonight? And all this stuff. And you're like, God, man, that song is fucking depressing, but I love it. Yeah, Morris has got away with words and... He definitely does. Apart from his book, which was absolute shite. <laughs> that fucking racist. Oh, uh, yeah. What yeah. was it called? Mine, was his Mind Camp? Was that the one? <laughs> <laughs> fucking hell. A couple of other things I really like about this uh, lyrics I like. Uh, if you really want to know yourself, it will come at the price of knowing no one else. This song is all like, um, if you want this, you have to give up that. If you want the X, you have to give up Y. Blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. Feng Shui. And I, and I thought that sort of line reminded me of, uh, you know, the famous quote by Sartre, hell is other people, which is often taken out of context as like, oh, hell is just being, it, hell, other people are hell. Yeah, super nihilistic and quite reductive. But it's more that like, um, hell is trying to view yourself through other people's eyes. That's what oh, interesting. he means is, by that. Hell is comparison. Like hell is comparison. comparison. Yeah. I feel like that, man. I feel like that every day with social media, um, and I'm yeah. and I feel like that. I feel like often I will, um, often I will care about the opinions of people who don't necessarily even know me. Yeah, no, I agree. Know me. I've definitely struck with that. I've, I've, de- I definitely took a big sort of break from social media as a whole. That's good. Yeah, yeah. That's the only way to to combat that. I just used to think in fucking tweets. I would have like a funny thought and then I would spend the entire day reworking it in my head to be a funny tweet. And then you post it and it's not funny. I'm like, fuck. Yeah, that's that's creativity in a nutshell, though. You, you think of it uh, and often it's like, okay, how about, why have I thought of it? Have I thought of it so that people will like me? And I think that is a huge factor with mm. online and social media, especially... Uh, wordy ones, yeah. 
last thing I wanted to say about that uh, uh, Cosmic Hero is I love the crescendo at the end where he's going, it will be all right, it will be all right, it will be all right. And then it starts going, fuck, it will be all right, fuck, fuck you, it will be all right. It's it's him. It's again, you know, the people giving you advice. Oh, it'll be all right. It'll be all right. It's just a phase. Get over it. You know, fuck you. Just love it. Love it. Now, Ryan, here's your time to shine. Your favourite song on the album. It's very close for me as well, this one. The Ballad of the Costa Concordia. First of all, fantastic title. Um, Yeah. And... I think do this you know is about where the... the Costa Concordia. I don't know. Please do. Please, please, please tell me. It was a cruise ship that sank in uh, twenty twelve, I believe. Uh huh. Italian Not, one. Like a few hours after it left port, yeah. And the captain famously did not go down with his ship. He left prematurely. I think thirty something people died. What a bastard! Uh, so yeah, he likens this song, the the, the you know the that accident, that disaster with his navigation from teenage years into adulthood. Brilliant, brilliant bit of metaphor, but go on. No, no, yeah, no. I mean, that's a nice bit of trivia. I didn't even, didn't even clock that at all. Um, But yeah, totally into the, particularly the second half of this song, I think is really powerful. Like the fact that you've got the spoken word coming in in such a visceral and like aggressive way almost. Um, And I feel like, it's just quite dry um and then after that spoken word section the kind of dryness of that you get this injection of like energy yeah um, in that latter in that latter section guitar this song is very green day like jesus of suburbia it is like jesus suburbia yeah you're right or um homecoming that like yeah it's it's like three songs in one but it, it's all part of the same narrative yeah i love it i'm into it man i'm into it in a big way this was this was this one and uh hippie powers those were the two standouts to me 100 percent. i'm definitely going to be going back to those and i would listen to those excellent i don't know how often i'd listen to the other ones just because you know feel like these two these two songs are different and distinct enough to encapsulate two very different spectrums of the album um, yeah and for me everything else fits in between um does that makes sense there's no super slow ballads is there um, i think this so- yeah even though this is a ballad technically the ballad mm. um totally yeah yeah i know what you mean i it, i love listening to the, this is one of those albums that i i, I absolutely love listening to all the way through um, but if the songs come on shuffle, it unless it's fill in the blank, hippie powers or this, um, actually, I'll tell, or drunk drivers. Yeah, that was the bang. Um, certified. Actually, and even the next Banger. song. Fuck it. You know what? I think I wouldn't skip any of these songs. <laughs> you love it, Matt. <laughs> I you bloody love, love this album. Uh, but yeah, I love that spoken word bit where he's like, how was I supposed to know how to use a tube amp? How was I supposed to know how to drive a van? How was I supposed to know how to ride a bike without hurting myself? How was I supposed to know to make dinner for myself? How was I supposed to know to hold a job? How was I supposed to remember to grab my backpack after I set it down to play basketball? Uh, it's all these really like innocuous, small little things that, you know, like we're never taught 
at school we're taught of all these really abstract things like fucking geometry and <laughs> yeah, yeah, geography yeah. and the formation of tectonic plates but we're not actually taught how to navigate life no the, and the kind of mundane practicalities that we we face every day that can that can be like at times quite I don't know. They're not discussed, and and the fact that they're not discussed can make you feel like you're weird for finding them difficult or strange or hard to navigate. And I think that's quite difficult in itself. Like not feeling like everyone else is having those day to day mundane struggles. Um, and I think that's really a really potent theme of this album as well. And I really like that because often there's so much. I, th- I think particularly when you have a, a song that's very. Um, a song that's 11 <laughs> minutes long. You've got a song that is a long tune and is powerful. Um, often the themes of that song will be quite grandiose. You talk about things like love, all these big themes. Um, and yes, you could argue that those themes are being talked about through mundane and smaller subject matter. But um, I feel like this one does a this one does a really great job of like subverting the the idea of an eleven minute tune, a grand eleven minute latter half album banger, um, and repackages it um, in a kind of more subtle, more intricate, and more thoughtful way. Couldn't put it back myself. So I feel. A couple more things before we finish this song. Did you notice the rework of a certain track in the middle of this song? of a very famous early naughty song. Think Love Actually. Actually, I don't even know if it's Is in it, Love Actually. I won't but... go down with this shit. And I won't put my hands up. Man, surrender. He fucking slaps White Flag into it. What a song. Anyway. And I think the original is, yeah, I will go down with this ship. I will put my hands up and surrender. There'll be no white flag above my door. I'm, I'm in love. I always will be. And his version is like, I won't go down with this ship. I will put my hands up and surrender. There will be no more flags above my door. I have lost and I always will be. Wow. Fucking hell. White flag was already depressing enough. (laughs) (laughs) White flag sounds like it's a love song there. Is that correct? Yeah, it is. It is. I think this is this I think this might be a love song as well. Part, well, I think it's about just again like navigation into adulthood and like yeah, love is yeah. part of that. Learning to love, learning how to deal with loss or loss of love, or even ha- or even having to go through. Because often what happens with with depression and anxiety, you have to hit lowest of lows, and I don't think many people talk about the lowest of lows as often as they should. Um, I think that's what this album is about. That is is going for them, and I hope that the 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 artist himself isn't um, construed or you know. I hope this is purely art as a truthful way of himself expressing himself, and not he's not hurt himself to kind of put this out there. I think it's. I, I don't think he not, has. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's what we've kind of we've come to understand. Yeah. Last couple of bits about Ballad Across Concordia because it's amazing. I love the bit where when it picks up after that, um, like that breakdown, 
you know, talking about how to deal with everyday things, very Sisyphean. And it goes into the really upbeat verse and it says, let us take you back to where you came in. Have you ever listened to Pink Floyd, The Wall? Yeah, baby. Yeah, so... Teacher! Uh, I know you're a King Gizzard fan, aren't you, Ryan? I like The Wizard Lizard. That album they did that was just supposed to be able to play on repeat. That like the final yes. track went into the <laughs> first. The wall does that. Yeah. The last track of the wall, um, outside the wall, it goes, isn't this where? And then the beginning of In the Flesh, which is the opening track, is We Came In. Hey. I love it. Badum, it's, badum. You know, he's influenced by it. That makes sense. Yeah. And last bit, he says, uh, one of the lines is, so I re- he read a book that won a Pulitzer Prize. It was about death. It didn't help. He saw himself in it. And I think he's talking about the book The Denial of Death by Ernest Becker. Now, this line is one I didn't really resonate with at the time, but I resonated with a year or two later after I read The Myth of Sisyphus, where uh, when I lived in London and I was getting the tube every day and I was just seeing people packed in, at, like Radiohead excellently put, packed like sardines in a crushed tin box everyone looking unhappy and miserable and it was just the same every fucking morning five days a week i was just like is this fucking life like i read the myth of sisyphus hoping to find some like meaning the whole idea of the myth of sisyphus which is a philosophy book by albert camus he's like yeah there, there is no meaning life's fucking absurd you've just got to create your own meaning but yeah the denial of death is like um did you watch the video i sent a little bit where he's talking Talks about it. And give a brief rundown. It's basically that um, human beings are creatures and we deny our creatureliness. We try to see ourselves as bigger than the world, more important than the rest of reality, and that that helps us. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, it's this immortality project. Wow. This idea that we can survive against anything. And he think he likens, he says that depression is people whose immortality project has failed. Makes sense. I think. I think there's. I think there's also like a futility to the immortality project. And like, I don't know. I think. I think I've never lived in London, but when I've been there, I've definitely experienced and seen that kind of packed into sardines, um, swath of 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 people of bodies, um, in this kind of very sort of jagged, geometric, unnatural surrounding. And I've always thought, oh, I couldn't live here. Oh, I don't know about that. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I've I always love, just thought I love London, but... it's it's a beautiful thing to go and be able to visit it. I don't know if it lends itself to the healthiest version of the human psyche, though. I'm not, con- I'm not, I'm not convinced that cities lend themselves to um, the human psyche in a way that's particularly healthy. I don't, I'd, I've never, I've never thought that. That was part of the reason why I left. Like after Ben died, and then I broke up with my girlfriend. I was just like, fucking hell, like. London is the loneliest city in the world. Busiest city. One of the busiest cities in the world. But as soon as yeah. you don't have anyone there, yeah, yeah, you feel totally. so alone, even though you're surrounded by more people than you're... Like, I felt way more alone there than I have ever done living in a tiny village in Suffolk. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. It says a lot, doesn't it? it? says a lot. Yeah. I think slaves put it best when they said... Cheer up, London. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. Put another row on your paycheck. Are oh, you done digging your grave yet? Oh, I saw that. them. 
Saw them at 5 a.m. at Glastonbury once. <laughs> yes. 5 a.m. 5 a.m. They came on and the guy the guy was leaded. <laughs> yeah. Fucking hell. I was thinking about, do you remember when me and you saw Young Fathers at Latitude and it was like one of the waviest gigs ever and then we came out me and you? pitch black in that tent? Yeah. Oh yeah, we did see them, didn't we? I forgot about it was, that. that. It was, was really It was weird. wavy. It was amazing. We pitched black in the tent and then we came out of the tent and it was just like, bright sun it was like four in the afternoon <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I, and then i saw young fathers with isaac yeah. i've got some really good memories of us of us at music festivals you know oh yeah i'd love to do one again with you guys if you want to do one 100 percent. so yeah denial of death i haven't read it i probably i would quite like to <laughs> i probably denial will of death. or i'll just watch another youtube video because it was a very good video i can't remember who the channel was can't plug you but just search the denial of death yeah, it sounds very good. It sounds like a common thing that our culture has is like taking things too seriously. Mm. And Certainly. what's important, you know, is is a number important? Is finances important? Is you know, it's tricky. It's not as hard as as tricky, people think. Tricky. If you if you can really you know take time to thank all the things that you actually have which is hard to do if you do have depression and you're overwhelmed. Track 11, Connect the Dots, a saga of Frank Sinatra. I love Frank Sinatra. I love Car Seat Headrest. Bloody love this song. <laughs> I love <laughs> I love the punchiness of the guitar. It's really punky, this song. He's sort of shouting, little boy says I'll be in love with my fists. Little boy says I'll be in love with my punches. Little boy says, what should I do with my hands, mum? Little boy is told not to do anything wrong. Wow. You know, I like that idea of he's not told what to do, he's just told not what to do. Yeah. Which but I think is everyone. The way he says that is well, the little boy, you know, as if he's, like, not himself. It's this third Oh, person. this whole, whole album, he's very disconnected. Like, yeah. I think like it, uh, Joe is a recurring character, which I assume is him. I know he's only meant, he's only got a title track on Joe gets kicked out of school for using drugs. And... Joe goes to school, which is the final song. But yeah, no, I he he does disconnect from it. But it is that disconnect you get when you have depression or any sort of me- mental illness, where you do sort of s- sit back and look at yourself from an outside perspective, and you think, "What the fuck am I doing?" But you can't quite stop it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a great song. Uh, there's a bit where he's like, "I uh, when he goes into the second verse, he says, I speak these words in utter isolation,' and then it like the verse gets cut with a like." broken apart with this fucking amazing guitar solo after that first line and then the verse continues this is what I mean about that weird sort of not um, conformative way of like songwriting or approaching song structures naturally like you would put a solo sort of after a verse before a chorus he just puts a solo after the first line of a chorus which and that first line is I speak these words in our isolation Mm mm-hmm so he isolates that bit. That's fucking, fucking brilliant. Will <laughs> yeah. Toledo, you are a fucking genius. The chorus is just like, I know that it's a lot to remember, says mother. I know that it's a lot to remember, says father, repeated. Mm-hmm. And then when he gets to it again, he says, I know that it's a lot to remember, says someone. And it's like this, you know, I can't even remember who's telling me what to do anymore. You know, it's just another person. It's just another authority figure. It's just someone else who doesn't quite understand. I don't even have a connection to them anymore, even if they're my own family, which I can very much relate to. And there's a great little line 
in this where he says, I, I think he's talking from his mum's perspective. He says, you won't see who you want to see there. No one will want to be in your band. You'll have to learn how to make it on your own and spend a little time with your own hand. Cool. That's a wank reference there, guys. No, no, it's right. It's like writing. Come on, that's like he's he's writing his art. You know, it's not it's not like a formula or anything. Oh, I I get that. I get that. Um, I forgot <laughs> yeah. to mention. Uh, I can't remember what song it is now, but there's a great line in a, one of the songs where he says, "I've been waiting for some real good porn." And it's like something about like um something to not make me feel shame. It is again kitchen sink. Is this you know candid? Like I'm not embarrassed. Yeah, one more beer. Yeah, definitely. Oh god, that's great uh, song. And then it sort of ends with this refrain of "and we're never gonna, never gonna get a job, and we're never gonna, never gonna get a job," which is, you know, we've all been there when we're in our teenagers or at uni. Yeah, those feelings. Yeah. You know, you're looking at people in the normal world thinking, I'm not going to get a job. What the fuck are you doing? Like, what is this fucking shit? What is capitalism? <laughs> what is the modern life? And then at the end, he then shouts, fuck off teens. It's like him being like, oh, no, fuck off. That's just, a, you know, just do it. Just get on with it. This album is so in conflict with him itself. And I think that's what makes it so special. It's not, It's not saying one message and it's not like, oh, I've written this down, or I don't think that's good advice, I'll take that out. It's just everything that comes into his head at once. It's so personal, and, mate, I've made myself love this album even more than I already did just by talking about it. (laughs) Yeah, I really appreciate it now that I've had an in-depth discussion. I think it's really interesting when you kind of bring a piece of artwork to the table and you, you plan on talking about it at length and, like, there's the there's there's maybe the expectation for some people to say nice things about it um and to kind of be overwhelmingly positive or kind of not want to sort of dampen the vibe um and i decided that when i was listening to this album i wasn't going to do that and i was going to be very honest and actually um all of the things that i had at the start uh negative things written down at the start um have all kind of evaporated after talking about it at length with you guys um but that's not to say that like this would be quite a difficult album for a lot of people i think i think because it's so i I agree because it's so heavy in terms of its emotional content and also because it definitely borrows referentially borrows from so many different areas that might be quite hard to access if you don't necessarily have that type of education or you maybe don't necessarily know music um or, or, or literature in the way that in the way that the artist does might be quite difficult to access, but um, I think it has enough uh, potency in terms of its songwriting and its and its and its um, musicality that it's able to satisfy people that want bangers and people that want something maybe a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, no, I'm. Go- I, I, a part of me, honestly, kind of wanted one of you to not like it. <laughs> to sort of get that outside perspective because I'm so in love with it and it, it, it because it is such a personal album. It's not like a, like, I think it's a 10 out of 10 album. I think I, we, I talked about, uh, uh, or I, I asked you how it, it may have hindered you because it kind of puts a lot on your plate, doesn't it? And if you feel, if you have these ideas of how he feels about those situations, then how heavily will you translate that to your own? 
but I think there's enough in this album of, uh, of artistic ways to flip things on its head and to turn left, right and centre musically to to transcend that. I think that's very, very intelligent and creative. So thank you, Car Seat Headrest, for this art. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Toledo. I will call you by a proper name because you never know. What if this podcast really pops off and we can start interviewing the people who make the shit? That's the, that's the dream, man. Oh my god! If I could talk to Toledo, that would be the dream. You'd probably self-combust, wouldn't you? If you could, I would. It'll happen. It's gonna happen, baby. Cause we're honest, baby. We're being present, baby. We're being honest and present and being ourselves, baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I should probably mention the actual final song. Joe goes to school. It's only two verses, and I think it's him. I could, should I just read it? It's literally two verses. Do it, man. Let's I think you fucking should. <laughs> I saw a horse and it saw me. You know their skulls are so crazy, but they still can see. It had big brown eyes, shining and sad. It was just a horse. I couldn't tell if it was sad or not. Held out my hand like there was something in it. Managed to touch it. It did not seem interested. Then a car pulled up, so I split the scene. I am a tourist attraction biking down Dog Street. I think that's just him reflecting on the album. And like all of these thought, this entire thought process that's come out through it, and I think he's looking at himself. He's the horse, looking at himself from that perspective. I think he's like, I couldn't tell if it was, it was just a horse. I couldn't tell if it was sad or not. So that sort of thing. It was just, you know, it's just a teenager. I can't tell if they're sad or not, or if they're just being a teenager. Bam. I didn't listen to this when I was a teen. I was what twenty one. No, not long out of my teens. And when you're at uni, you basically are still in your teens. Totally. It's not until you leave uni where you're like, oh shit, no, I'm an adult now. Fuck. Uh, I um, I felt like I was kind of extending my teenage years, even for the year, at, you know, year after university. Yeah, no, I, I, I did as well. Definitely still felt like I was kind of trying to extend that period of my life. Um, yeah. Lots of voices telling you to go to university. That's how I felt. Lots of voices. And then your own voices. Well, how strong can that be if there's all these other visions of people, blah, blah, blah. So it was inevitable, I think, wasn't it? Going to... Totally. Yeah, I I really wasn't sure about going to uni until I spoke to my brother and he was like, look, even if you don't do what you want to do, it's just like, it is just the best time of my life. Yeah. Not the actual learning part. It's just... (laughs) And it was, it was yeah, both the, the best and the worst time of my life. Same, same man, totally. Both simultaneously. Like, I'm so glad I went. Yeah, you're left to your own devices, aren't you? Yeah. So, yeah, that was Teens of Denial by Car Seat Headbreast. Thank you, Mr. Toledo. Mr. One of the fucking the greatest baby. indie rock albums of all time. And thank you to you two for being my therapist for the last three hours we're just comedy actors that'd be 300 pounds please Matthew (laughs) put a smile on that face (laughs) it's just a face (laughs) so that was my pick obviously last week we had Ryan's pick of Drive which means it's Mr Isaac Kidd's pick next week Isaac hello (laughs) 
<laughs> Can you hear me your end? Well, what I have in store for you all is a super soul Sunday. If you're listening on a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I will take you to church with Pixar's soul. The computer-generated film about your soul, afterlife, before life, in your body. And it features a cat and jazz, and it's very cool. I would just like to apologise for the audio listeners for that clipping when Isaac shouted soul (laughs) at the top of his voice. The soul's too good, honey. You can't put a censor on the gospel, Matthew. So there we got it. Soul... So recently released, very recent release, much more recent than our last few picks. Just came out Christmas Day, wasn't it? What a wonderful gift. What a wonderful gift to the world. Mr. Pete Doctor, is it? Correct. Who reminds me of Ryan Heath, who is uh, sitting across to me, across from me, uh, on the other end of this interweb. On this virtual table. Cool. Who, who, who reminds me? He's tall, he's fairly tall and has a similar bone structure to you. And I think that. What's his name? Let me Google Pete him. Doctor. Yeah, check him out. Pete Doctor. Director of Monsters, Inc. What a classic. And Up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got a similar similar thing going on. We all know that the person that Ryan looks like is Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> I don't fucking uh, know what Jerry Seinfeld is. You do. You look like Jerry Seinfeld in the 90s. Hell it's yeah. the nose. It's the mouth. It's the face. It's the smile. What's your lineage? Where are you from? Where where's your where's your family from? Um, as far as I know, but there's only really Dutch and Irish in my background. Very funny man. Very funny man. So that's it. Our, our homework for next week is watching uh, the latest Pixar release, Soul. Hope you enjoy it. I hope to enjoy it again on the second viewing in a very short space of time. Thank you, Isaac, for joining me. Thank you, Ryan, for joining me. Thank you to one or two, or possibly more listeners for listening to me essentially have a therapy session in the form of a two to three hour podcast. And if you have listened to the end, you are absolute stars and I love you very much. And on that note, goodbye.